Have you noticed how much the news has been in the news lately? First of all, there's fake news. Now, fake news isn't really new. It's been around a long time. If you ever find yourself in Springfield, Illinois, and you go to the Lincoln Museum, there is a hallway in that museum that is completely covered in political cartoons and newspaper clippings from back in Lincoln's day. And what's really shocking about these newspaper articles is just how fake they are. I mean, it is completely fabricated, made-up stuff. We just didn't call it fake news then. What's really changed today is that the Internet allows these things to spread like an out-of-control grass fire. I I looked up what were the most widely spread fake news stories of last year because I thought that could be humorous to look at. Turns out a lot of them are not appropriate to share on a Sunday morning. But here are three of them, the appropriate ones. Lottery winner arrested for dumping $200,000 worth of manure on ex-boss's lawn. I'm sure some of you have had that fantasy. But this particular story is fake news. There's this one. Donald Trump ends school shootings by banning schools. Now, I know there are some junior high boys that would be highly in favor of that one. Or there's this one. Two altar boys arrested for putting weed in the sensor burner. Well, that would be a Sunday service, wouldn't it? But in addition to fake news, we we have breaking news. It seems like all the time we have breaking news. You turn on the TV to a news channel, and and nine times out of ten, there's a little caption on the lower part of the screen. It says, breaking news, as if they have some life-changing, earth-shattering story they need to tell you. Don't believe it. It's just a, a, a... tool they use to get you to stay tuned through the commercial break. Because usually, you you watch through the break, you get back, and it turns out that the breaking news is rather, let's just say, underwhelming. So I I hear some of my favorite underwhelming news stories. Go ahead and bring the first picture up there. Mind-blowing, isn't it? And then there's this one, which is one of those things that makes me wonder how much of my tax dollars did they waste on this study to find this out. If you can't read it, it says, study, Internet trolls are jerks. I thought that was a given. We already knew that. And then there's this one. You mean they're not? Now, for this one, we're going to go old school, a newspaper headline, and it's appropriate because it's Memorial Day weekend, pools are opening, and you're going to go swimming. Some of you are faster than others, I can. And then this last one is just to pick on the uh, weather reporters.
Because we live in the day and age where every snow flurry and every rain shower is a major crisis. There we go. Rain creates wet roads. Of course, part of the problem is that we now have 24-7 news. And when you have umpteen around-the-clock news channels, you have to do something to keep eyeballs glued to the screen. And it thrives on controversy. You've got to keep people outraged. You need constant drama. You have to manufacture the news. And, of course, social media has given us instant news. See, news stories today, they break on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook long before the news cameras ever get there. And these days, everybody with a phone is a journalist. You could break the next big news stories. And did you know that 65% of us now get our news primarily through social media? Now, how many of you remember when we only had the nightly news? 30 minutes of news a day was enough, and we seemed happier then. Well, how about some good news? Because it seems like everything's bad news, right? So I just pulled out some good news stories from this last week. Maybe you heard about this one. Billionaire investor and philanthropist Robert J. Smith was the commencement speaker at Morehouse College, and the highlight of his speech was that he said he would pay for the student loans of all 396 graduating seniors. That's good news, unless you're a graduating senior from any other school. Good news. Then there was this story that I thought was good news. Michael Watson, two years ago, was a sophomore at McKinley High School in Canton, Ohio. He weighed 335 pounds, and he decided he needed to make a change. And so he started walking to school. 20 minutes every day, rain or shine. And this year, as an 18-year-old graduating senior, he had lost 115 pounds. That's a pretty good story. Or there was this story. Two Florida teenagers, Tyler Smith and Heather Brown, decided to go swimming. And the ocean currents pulled them out to sea. And they thought they were goners. And in fear for their lives, they prayed this desperate prayer when out of nowhere approached a boat who rescued them. And the name of the boat, Amen. Pretty good news story. We could all use some good news. And in his letter, First Peter, the Apostle Peter talks about good news. Now, we're in a series from First Peter called Here, There. Because Peter makes the point in this gospel that as Christians, we are living in a part of two worlds at once. We are a part of this world here, but we're a part of a greater spiritual reality there. And so how do we live in two places at once? And one of the answers to that question is this idea of good news. We can live lives here because we have received good news from there that makes all of the difference here. Now, we were in 1 Peter chapter 2 last week. We're going to kind of flip back to chapter 1. And I want to begin in verse 12. And here's what Peter writes. 
It was revealed to them, and he's talking about the Old Testament prophets here. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which the angels long to look. Now, maybe your version says gospel there, that the gospel was announced to you. That's okay, because the gospel simply means good news. The gospel of Jesus is the good news of Jesus. Then we go on down to verses 24 and 25 of chapter 1, and Peter writes this. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. In both of these passages, he says, you have received good news. If you are a Christian, you are a Christian because you have received good news. Someone told you the good news of Jesus. Now, I just get some feedback from you really quick. Who told you the good news of Jesus? I'm just looking for a name or a description, like a mom, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa. Uh, who, who first told you the good news of Jesus? Yell it out. Mom? We heard of grandma, grandpa, what else? Anybody? Anything other than mom, grandma, grandpa? Uncle, dad? What? thought I heard something else over here. Sunday school teacher? Maybe a youth leader, right? Point is, if you're a Christian, you've received good news because somebody told you the good news of Jesus. A parent friend, a grandparent, maybe even a child, someone told you the good news. And one of the most awesome things that you can ever be a part of is to tell someone else the good news. You tell them the good news of Jesus, they hear it, they receive it, they believe it, and it changes their life. It's one of the most incredible things to be a part of. See, and it's not enough just to receive the good news. We need to pass it on. And here at Sunrise, we want everyone to be involved with helping us share the good news in at least three ways. Number one, be involved in helping us tell others the good news of Jesus. Tell the good news yourself. Share your story. See, one of the best ways to share the good news is simply to tell the other person what Jesus has done for you. The difference that the good news has made in your life. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a Bible expert. Because you know what? You're just telling your story. And you are the world's foremost expert on your story. So just be involved in telling others the good news. Number two, be invested in helping us. Tell others, good news. Your support of the church helps the good news go further and faster. Number three, be committed to inviting others to come and hear the good news. 
All you have to do is invite someone to church. And they can come and they can hear the good news. If you'd invited somebody to church today and they came today, they would hear the good news of Jesus. Good news. And I want you to think for a second about who wrote this letter. Peter. This is the big mouthed, speak first, think later, Disciple, who makes big, bold proclamations and then proceeds to fall flat on his face. The disciple who failed Jesus during Jesus' darkest hour, denying that he even knew Jesus three times. But Jesus, he loved Peter even during Peter's darkest hour. You see, after Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter had given up. Peter had, had, had left Jerusalem. He left Judea. He went back home. He went back to the Sea of Galilee. He went back to the fishing boats and the fishing business that he had been doing before he followed Jesus. And so it is there on the shores of Galilee where Jesus, three years before, had called Peter, Peter, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. It's, it's in that same area where Jesus once again comes to Peter. And three times he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And three times Jesus again calls Peter into ministry, telling Peter, Peter, Feed my sheep. Care for my lambs. Feed my sheep. See, Jesus didn't reject Peter. Jesus didn't turn his back on on Peter. Jesus didn't leave Peter to wallow in his failure. Instead, he restored Peter. And in this way, Peter became one of the very first people to experience the good news of Jesus. And this is how Peter became the very first person to proclaim the good news of Jesus. He preaches the very first sermon in the history of the church, becoming the first person to share the gospel in Acts chapter 2. And we can learn a lot about the good news simply by looking what Peter, at what Peter has to say in this very first sermon. So flip over from 1 Peter to Acts chapter 2. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know what the good news of Jesus is, or maybe you're kind of fuzzy on that subject, what what does that mean, the good news? Well, I'm going to tell you the good news of Jesus. And I want to tell you the good news of Jesus through the words of Peter. Now, Peter has a lot to say here, but we're just going to jump in on some of the, the high points, beginning with verse 22. And the first point is this, that Jesus was the divine Son of God. And He came to earth and we see the power of God in the flesh. Here's what Peter says, men of Israel, he's speaking to a Jewish audience. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves 
No. Jesus was the divine Son of God who came with divine, divine power. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He calmed the stormy seas. He cast demons out of people. He even raised the dead. And by doing these things, he proved that he had power and authority over both the physical, natural world and the spirit world. And he proved that he had power and authority over even life and death itself. See, Jesus was not a two-bit street corner hustler. He was an almighty God come as one of us. He didn't just walk a mile in our shoes, but he lived the whole life in our skin. And his miracles, they were witnessed by friend and foe alike, and they were challenged by no one. Even his enemies acknowledged his power. That's who Jesus is. And that's good news. It's good news because a weak Savior wouldn't do you any good. It's good news because a powerless Savior couldn't save you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus was the power of God in the flesh, that He came, that He did miracles and signs and wonders? Do you believe it? Jesus was the power of God in the flesh. And then in verse 23, we see that this Jesus gave up his life for us. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter's point here is simply this. Jesus did not die on accident. He died on purpose. And it wasn't the Jews' purpose. It wasn't the Romans' purpose. It was God's purpose. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all very clear that when Jesus went to Jerusalem that very last time, He went knowing what would happen to Him there. He prophesied not only that He would die, He prophesied how He would die. And so, when Jesus dies on the cross, He wasn't caught up in circumstances beyond His control. Ultimately, His death, it wasn't just a murder or an assassination or even a martyrdom. It was a sacrifice. Jesus offered Himself, gave Himself up for us. And that is good news. And here's why it's good news. Because the death He died is the death that we deserved. He paid the price that we owed. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Verse 24. In Jesus, we saw the power of God in the flesh, but He gave up His life for us. But then in verse 24, we see that he rose from the dead. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible. 
for him to be held by it. The good news wouldn't be good news if Jesus was still dead. This wouldn't be a good story if it ended in the grave. Think about it. It'd be a tragic story. It'd be a heartbreaking story, but it wouldn't be good news. But the grave is not where the story ends. Not even close. See, an almighty Lord, who through His miracles proved that He had power over both life and death, but He gave up His life for us, even though He didn't deserve to die, such a Lord and Savior could not stay dead. The tomb could not hold Him in. The grave could not contain Him. The Gospels tell the story. The earth trembled and shook. The stone rolled away. And the grave gave up what it could not hold. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. And that's good news. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? This is what gives us hope beyond the grave. It's what gives us hope beyond anything that we deal with here. We jump on down to verse 36. This Jesus who was the power of God in the flesh, who gave himself up for us, but who could not stay dead, is once again, we see, Lord of all. Peter says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What does he mean? Well, let's be clear about one thing. Christ is not Jesus' last name. And it's not a, an explanation to be sworn when you or someone else does something stupid. Christ is a title. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. And Christ simply comes from a, a Greek word, Christos, which means the anointed one. And that word itself is a translation from a Hebrew word, Messiah, which means the anointed one. And it's a picture that goes back to, to ancient times when kings would be anointed with oil when they first took the throne. It meant that they were the chosen one. And the New Testament teaches that Jesus, after his death on the cross, after his burial and resurrection from the dead, that once again he ascended to heaven and today sits on the throne with the Father. He sits at the Father's right hand and shares with Him all power, all authority. That's what it means that He is Christ, the Anointed One. It means He sits on the throne. Jesus is no longer merely a carpenter from Nazareth. He's no longer just an itinerant teacher who walked on the shores of Galilee and the mountains of Judea teaching people but He is the Almighty Son of God who sits at His right hand. And that is also why He is Lord. Lord simply means master, boss, if you will. He is Lord 
of all. And that's a big deal, and that's good news, and I'll tell you why. If Peter himself had died in your place, it wouldn't have done you any good. Because Peter couldn't pay that price. If John, the air conditioner repairman, died in your place, it might have been a heartfelt gesture, but it wouldn't do you any good. If Donald Trump and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett all died in your place, it still wouldn't do you any good. Because there is no position, power, prestige, or portfolio on this planet that can pay the price. Only... Jesus, the Lord of all, could pay that price. That's good news. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? And this is where we get to the so what part of the sermon. Both in Peter's sermon and this sermon here this morning. If all of these things about Jesus are true, that He was the power of God in the flesh, that He gave Himself for us, that He rose from the dead, and now He sits at the Father's right hand and He is the Lord of all. He is the Chosen One. So what? What do we do about it? If you go on, verses 37 through 39... It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What is required of us? What must we do in response to all of these things? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. If you have never responded to the good news of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do so today. See, Jesus doesn't want to just be your Lord. He wants to be your Savior too. And here's the thing about Jesus as Lord. Jesus will be Lord of everything, regardless of what you think about him. Jesus will be your Lord, whether you never acknowledge him, believe in him, receive him, doesn't matter. Paul writes in Philippians that there is a day in which every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. When Jesus returns... Everyone will see it. Everyone will know it. There will be no doubt. There will be no question. Jesus is Lord. For Him to be Lord, it requires zero response from you. But Jesus also wants to be your Savior. And that does require a response. That requires that you decide some things about Jesus now. That requires that you don't wait until then to bow your knee, but you bow your knee now out of love and faith. It means that you believe in Him, that you follow Him now. 
that you agree to make Him the Lord of your life now while it still matters. And the way you respond to Jesus today is the same way that Peter tells this crowd 2,000 years ago. First, repent. Repent simply means to change direction. You're going this way, and now you're going that way. It means to quit following after sin, to turn away from sin, and to follow after Jesus. It's to simply say to God, I don't like the direction I'm going. I want to go a different way. And then Peter says, be baptized. The word baptized was a word that simply meant to plunge or dip or immerse. It was used for all sorts of things. If you go swimming this Memorial Day weekend and uh, you dunk your buddy under the water, you have baptized them. But Christian baptism was more than just being immersed or dunked under the water. But it's a picture of a burial. Think of this baptistry as a grave. And when you are buried in baptism, you are joined to the death of Jesus. Your sins are left with Him on the cross. The old sinful you is buried. And then you are joined to the life of Christ. A new you rises to walk in the newness of life. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 6, how baptism joins us to the death and resurrection of Jesus. He says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Be buried with Him in baptism. And then Peter makes two incredible promises. He promises, first of all, that your sins will be forgiven. He doesn't say some sins, most sins, all but the really bad sins. He just says your sins, all of them will be forgiven. Every failure erased. Every mistake paid for, every lie you've ever told, every venomous word of hatred that's ever spewed from your lips, all the damage done by every outburst of anger, every moment of surrender to every enticement of lust, every time you've given up control to any addiction that's ever chained you, Every time greed has stolen your contentment and enjoyment for what you already have. Every time jealousy and envy have poisoned a relationship and broken friends apart. Every time. It's undone. It's paid for. It's wiped clean. The guilt is gone. Every single time. But Jesus doesn't just change your past. He rewrites your future. Peter says that He gives you the gift of His Holy Spirit. That means His Spirit comes into your life, takes up residence in you, 
to help you live a new life. He changes you from the inside out. He helps you think new thoughts. He helps you dream new dreams. He gives you gifts and enables you to do what you've never done before. That's good news, brothers and sisters. Very good news indeed. The question is, do you believe it? And if you believe it, but you haven't yet done it, then today needs to be the day. Recognize Him as your Lord. Receive Him as your Savior. Be buried with Him in the waters of baptism. Leave every sin in your life in His grave. And live a new life knowing that you will live with Him forever. That's a decision you can make right here today. Let me also say this to those of you who have already made that decision. You already follow Jesus. You've already been baptized into Christ. You have received the good news. But do you share the good news? I want to encourage you to do that. Make the personal commitment to share the good news that has changed your life. To share that with others. And let me challenge you this way. Be good news. Be good news. So many times our actions speak louder than our words. Our actions can undermine whatever good news that we speak. So it's not for enough for us just to speak good news. We have to be good news. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.15, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And the assumption of this whole verse is this, that there is something about your life that's going to make people want to ask you, hey, what's going on with you? What's different about you? Why do you live the way you do? Why do you make the decisions you do? Why are you that way? And when they ask you because of you are good news, then you can say, well, let me tell you something. And then you can share with them the good news that will save them for all eternity. So accept that challenge. Share the good news. Be the good news. Receive the good news. We're going to sing a song of invitation and commitment. I'm going to ask that you stand. And if today is the day you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come speak with me. I'll be back here at these doors right over here. If you need prayer or help or encouragement of any other sort, we have uh, people in the back, some of our Stephen ministers. You'll recognize them. They have a, a name tag that says prayer team on it. It means you can go talk with them and pray with them. And they will respect your privacy, your confidentiality. They're not going to come tell me later, hey, so-and-so came and told me this. No, it's between you and them and God. Roy and Carmen are up here to pray with you, to lift you before the Lord. So let's sing this song. And if you need to make that decision, Make that decision today.